So the other day, Marty, I was setting up to play some cards with some friends here mm -hmm. that they passed the Donna COVID screening tests when they came over. And I rolled out one of my mats. It was a little short on the table. And that was kind of frustrating, man. Just kind of frustrating. So I went over to GameToppersLLC.com mm -hmm. to verify what kind of mat would I be able to put on this table if I were to buy one. Mm -hmm. And come to find out, all those mats are on sale right now. So be sure to go check those what? out. I know they are. It's amazing. Berkey has them on sale. So you could probably pick up additional mats. Once to change it out if you already have the game toppers. But if you don't have the game toppers, you might just want to wait a little bit. Berkey told us that something's getting ready to happen, Marty, didn't he? Could it be a possible new Kickstarter? Why else would we be talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> because there is going to be a new Kickstarter from Game Toppers. And for people like me who may not have that gaming experience, but you want to be able to set up a table, stay tuned for that. He's got some interesting changes. He's got some very unique ideas, as always. I, I think the guy just sits around thinking about, well, how can I make this better? What he's going to show us in the new Kickstarter, I think, Tony, will make it better. It's stuff that people have been asking for. He's now going to give it, and it's add-ons and stuff to existing styles of tables. So if you already have some of these game toppers, you'll just be able to add some additional components and accessories to it. So, but what you want to do is make sure to keep an eye out for GameToppersLLC.com as eventually a Kickstarter is going to be coming out. We'll be able to talk about more, uh, some of the stuff that's going to be uh, coming. We're going to get to see uh, some of it. Tony, I believe you've got some of the product that you're going to be able to see soon that you can tell us about. So stay tuned over the next several weeks as the new Game Toppers Kickstarter is coming. Big every time it comes out. You'll want to jump on it quick because if he does like he does in the past where you can have like early pledges and stuff, you'll want to get in early because his operation's getting big, but he can't ship them all out at once. He has to do them in stages. So you want to get in that early stage. So make sure to go check out GameToppersLLC.com. For another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, the guys are going to pick up and deliver reviews of Maglev Metro and Rapa Nui. They also give lots of board game news and reminisce about Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. I wish we'd kept them all. Hello and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 224, Thunder Island. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. Fair on Thunder Island. That one. That's it. Okay, everybody just stop listening. Oh, well, for the three that'll stir here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, after my We Are the Champions montage that occurred at the end of one of our episodes, I can understand why. They said, please, please, just do a Patreon where we can pay so that Tony does not sing. That could be a level. <laughs> the money we would make. We need to make that like a high level so that we'll, we'll, people will get to it. Or better yet. Marty and Tony's top 10 songs that we sing. Yeah, we, we sing them. And it's like, if you don't want us to do that episode, <laughs> then you must pledge at this certain part. So when did that song come out? Uh, 1977. There you go. And that by, is by Jay Ferguson. So when I was a little kid, <laughs> 
they talked about making love on the beach. And I went, ooh, this is a dirty song. Mm-hmm. My parents would shit let me listen to this song. And yet you probably listened to um, Sky Rockets in Flight. And no clue that's what Afternoon Delight was about. None. 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 And somebody told me years later, I went, what are you talking about? It's like skyrockets. They're like at a park or something. They're watching fireworks. They went, go back and read the lyrics. I went, oh, oh my. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, I have no clue. And I'd play that song all the time as growing up. I was like, I got no clue. I think it's a happy song. And yes, it was a happy song. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Or is, yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Please do. Do you know where you were 28 years ago today or kind of today? 28? 28 years ago, kind of today. What year would that have been? 1995? Close on your math skills. 1992. (laughs) There's something in the show notes that I went, wait, the math is not adding up to something we're going to talk about. So that's why I was really confused. Uh, I believe I was at your wedding. That is correct. So I have topped the Valentine recording. This is my anniversary. (laughs) Oh, so we were married on February 29th in 1992. Marty was uh, one of my groomsmen and we were there. And this is we either we always celebrate on the weekend of the 28th, 20, the first or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, we'd only get them every four years unless you do the leap year calculation. We were recording on Valentine's Day and I'm recording on my anniversary. Isn't that fun? Wait a minute. So you said on the weekend. So this past weekend, didn't you do something for the anniversary? We are still in the COVID thing. So yes, we sat around and had oh. a nice dinner and afternoon delight. Thunder Island. How about that? <laughs> Sky rockets in flight. Boom! Did you did you ever see uh, Anchorman? Every time I hear that song, that's what I think about those guys singing that song acapella. So no, I've never seen it. I'm not a big Will Ferrell. You've fan. never seen Anchor? Oh my lord! I don't understand all these movies. Never saw Spaceballs. Never saw Anchorman. Once again, Will Ferrell movies are not my thing. I will tolerate Elf. Okay. I know that's tolerate. What tolerate. Wow. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Elf, so <sighs> I just missed a lot of them, and that's fine. No, it's not fine. I mean, my favorite character is his Jeopardy character that he does. So, and we've talked about that, but yes. Yeah, so, 28 years, man. 28. 28. Wow. Well, congratulations. What is Thank the 28th you. anniversary gift? Do you even know? Don't know. Don't care. Well, doesn't matter. I'm looking it up anyway. Uh, that's fine. You go ahead. And actually, I'm I'm wrong. My math skills. I've been saying 28 for so long. It's our 29th. Oh, well, then I need to look up 29th. My wife has been correcting me all day because I keep saying it's just stuck in my head for some odd reason because it sounds so good. 28, 28, 28. You should have celebrated 29th. Why? The theme is tools. Ooh. Yeah. Ah, there you go. That's from the Hallmark site. So I don't know how right that is, but it's saying the 29th anniversary gift is tools. Okay. But I do have things that are way older than my anniversary. And you've pointed this out. I got baseball cards that are way older. I got baseball cards that are older than me. Do you still have those baseball cards? I still have my Johnny Bench rookie. All right. So here's the thing, dude. Uh, Over the weekend, I happened to see an article talking about how there's a boom in sports cards. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Tony and I were huge into baseball cards. Gosh, late 80s, early 90s. 
We would go to card shows, buy old cards, auction cards, etc. The market got greedy, basically started overproducing cards, trying to create these chase cards. Market crashed and really kind of never rebounded since then. So Tony and I have been sitting on the, I mean, Tony and I used to, remember, we used to joke, oh, our kids will go to college mm-hmm. off these cards. We honestly thought that we weren't kidding. We honestly thought some of these cards could bring hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars by the time we had kids and they got to college, but that didn't come to fruition. So then all of a sudden I'm hearing, oh, there's a, a sports card market boom. I'm like, what? So what happened was this past year, during COVID, everybody was bored, started going through their stuff, and people found these baseball cards, and all of a sudden, there became an interest in old sports cards, not just baseball, any sports cards. Get this, hedge fund investors, hey, saw this is a quick way to make money. So it's not sports people like you and I who want it for memorabilia. There are people that got into it to make a buck. Of course, always, anything to make a dollar. Yes, as an investment property. This has been happening with Pokemon. I don't know if you heard it. Pokemon cards have gone crazy. Yes. Uh, so I don't know if you know that McDonald's had this big Pokemon card promotion where if you get a Happy Meal, you get a pack of Pokemon cards. People would wait for them to open up in the morning and get in line to try to get those cards because they were so hot. Mm. So anyway, so sports cards are big. And it's not just the old cards. I read that some targets are limiting people to one pack per customer for like the 2020 packs that came out last year. And here's what's interesting, because I remember I went over to that shelf a couple weeks ago because I was looking for, remember on the show uh, last episode when I was talking about uh, Nintendo controllers? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those are right there at the sports cards. And I noticed there was just hardly any out. And I thought, oh, it must be because the 2021 baseball season is getting ready to start and they're getting ready to refresh. Nope. It's because they were sold out. I'm dumbfounded. Absolutely dumbfounded, not paying attention to this kind of stuff. Not that I was ever in storage or anything, but that is just unreal because four or five years ago, I sold off my whole lot. I got rid of them all. I didn't want to move them. But you kept like a Johnny Bench rookie. You kept some of the good ones, right? I kept my 1978 top set. I kept all my good rookies, my Ripkins, no. my, my bench, all that. You're garbage. good. You're good. Honestly, there's probably not too many in the sets that we had. You know, even Ken Griffey. You can still buy it ungraded for 50 bucks. It's not even gone up that much. But okay. if you got like like a rookie Tony Gwynn, which I have, a rookie mm-hmm. Kyle Ripken, which I got. I think you got a minor league Kyle Ripken when he was a Charlotte, don't you? Yes. Yep. Do have that. There was a Mickey Mantle card that went on auction last week. Highest ever Mickey Mantle rookie card ever went for because of the boom. Was it 52, 51, 52? 52 rookie card had the stars around the name, if I remember correctly. and. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the ones that I still kept that you and I enjoyed were the, you know, was it the 1971, uh, was that the Black Border? And then I Mm -hmm. love the 1962. I have my 1962 Maris with the wood grain border, and which they actually came out later with tops. It was an 80s set that had that same border style. But you mentioned the Black Border. So a friend of mine at work, one of my co-workers, has his wife buys old lots of jewelry and basically sells them, re- refurbishes them as salesmen. So she bought a lot of jewelry and in the bottom were a bunch of baseball cards. Oh. Most of them were really messed up, but he brought in one today. It was a 1971 Nolan Ryan. I don't see how this was stuck in the bottom of a box and wasn't ruined. I've never seen a 1971 crisper card than this one. Wow. For those who, who haven't seen this, the black borders are very hard to keep pristine because they fray. And the mm-hmm. white shows on the edges, sharp corners. So I looked it up online. I couldn't believe it. At Nolan Ryan, ungraded, 
is over $100, 71. I said, dude, you need to pay to get this graded because I guarantee you this is an eight to a nine card making it worth hundreds of dollars that he just happened to find because his wife bought a lot of jewelry and they were in the bottom of the box. Mm. I was wondering, I was on eBay. I'm like, nobody's ever on eBay anymore, but I was on eBay and I was like, well, I wonder what, a, I've always wanted a Phil Necro rookie. What would a Phil Necro, I couldn't find him. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Nobody was selling one? Oh, they were selling them, but not at the price I wanted. How much were they just out of curiosity? Do you remember? Uh, they were, I think they were in the hundreds of dollars. And I'm just like, it's not, whoa. I'm like, really? But this was, you know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago or something, or maybe, but there weren't that many. Well, this has been going on a year. So it's not just recent. This is just since COVID hit, a lot of people got interested in this thing. I sent you a link to an article. If you want to read the article, we might put the article in the post if anybody wants to read it in the, in the blog. Basically, people are buying boxes of cards. We used to buy boxes, right? We didn't buy packs. We bought a box, mm-hmm. you know, people are buy, buying boxes. And here's the thing, as always, unopened packs are worth more than open packs. Mm-hmm. So a sealed box is always worth more than the individual packs or individual cards within that box. So people are just stocking up on these boxes. And then there's some big rookie that came out last year or something, or supposedly a rookie and everybody wants this particular rookie card, et cetera. So it's crazy. I remember you and I in Toys R Us going through the sports blister packs where you could see the cards on top mm-hmm. and you and I would go and we'd scan them for the big rookies and then flip them over for the big rookies on the back. And then that way, you know, you'd have like three things of them and you could just say, okay, I don't care about the other hundred that are in here. Let's see who the top ones are because then we would take those and you'd have that capability of saying, Oh, it's got the rookie King Griffey juniors here sitting on top unopened blister pack or whatever they were called. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. All the Pokemon that Rebecca had growing up. I, she said she got rid of them. I don't know. I thought I kept them around. Don't go look. Oh, they're gone. For some reason, oh my gosh. So for some reason, old Pokemon cards are huge now. It's it's ridiculous. So I'm looking at this article. I just want to make sure I don't misquote what I said earlier. Here's the quote. Investors who saw big returns on the stock market last year also have begun to buy into trading cards as an alternative to equities, pumping up prices for the cardboard commodity. Okay. People are waiting in line for stores to open to buy stuff. And that unopened packs are going three to 10 times what the retail value was on the secondary market. Here's a quote from a guy who opened a sports card store in 1981. He said, I've never had business like this before in all my years of running a card shop. And that's through the big years of the late 80s. I'm going to have to drive down to the local sports card store here on 74 and just see what their stock looks like. Cause they had a ton of stuff two years ago. I'll just have mm-hmm. to go take a look and see what it's like. Well, well, do you remember like every weekend there was a, there's a theme park here called Carowinds and there's a, uh, there mm-hmm. was a mall beside it. Remember there every year, every week there was a sports card show there or every month. Yeah. And I'd used to go over there and I'd go over there and buy cards. I mean, card shows were a common thing here in Charlotte. They're gone now. But back then I used to always go and just, you know, haggle and, and buy stuff. Uh, or we go to Smitty's and go to the auction. Yeah, a Smitty's was a local card show. Here's the thing. This weekend, I'm going through my individual cards, and I'm pulling them out, and I'm going to see what the values mean these things are. And I'm going. There's a, there's a guy at work who said, I had a bunch of cards. I have a subscription to the PSA service that um, grades cards. And he said, if you want to throw any of your cards in with mine, you can just pay whatever they charge for that card, and we'll send a whole big lot. And I said, I'm in. 
Because if any of these are greater ones that I don't care about, care, players I don't care about, I'm flipping them. Well, then um, can I get in on this gravy train? Yeah. I mean, I know exactly where all mine are. Matter of fact, I wanted to get a um, hard plastic seal, not the standard ones, but you know, the ones with the little screws and things like that for a couple cards. Yep. I know normally when you send them off to be graded, you all you got to do is put them in the hard sleeves and I've got plenty of those. So that's fine. So yeah, Pokemon cards going out and we've got the 25th anniversary of Pokemon getting ready to happen, which you've talked about. I'm still looking for you a red cartridge, man. I keep looking for you. I actually bought a red cartridge Okay, on eBay. One of our listeners in our Discord channel heard that I was looking for one. We had talked about it. He found one on eBay. He said, this is not a bad price. And it wasn't. It was $35. Hold on, I'll show it to you. So here's what it uh, looks like. I mean, the the label, uh, the camera, there it is. The, the label is in perfect, immaculate. It looks at 35 bucks, man. It was like $5 to ship. So I got it. I mean, I regret this isn't my original, but for nostalgia, this is it. And, you know, we talked about how sports cards are going crazy. Old video games are going yeah. are going crazy too. In fact, so Vanessa was cleaning up some stuff last night. She happened to run across a box that had an old Game Boy SP in it. By the way, still one of the best handheld design systems ever. The SP, mm-hmm. uh, the GBA SP, the clamshell. Clamshell, okay. Yeah, the little square clamshell. And I remember I opened it up. I said, wow, I used to see this screen really clearly. I can't do that anymore. Um, but anyway, it still <laughs> works. But in the box was uh, my Zelda Spirit Tracks DS game. Ooh. Well, let me see if this is worth anything. Just by itself, and there it is. Without the box, $41. Unreal. Everybody, if you have games that aren't playable in any other system anymore, they're going worth a lot. And I actually want to throw a shout out and a thank you to Ben H on our Discord channel. He was selling a bunch of games on eBay and he was putting them on our channel in case anybody was interested. My son Adam is big into Castlevania games and wants to collect all the old Castlevania games. He had two DS Castlevania games that Adam was looking for. Plus he had an old Game Boy Advance Castlevania game cartridge. And he was going to sell them to me at a dirt cheap price. And then he said, you know, I'll take, he said, if you got any games that I may be interested in, he sent me his wish list. I have like four or five games. I'm going to bundle and send him. And he's already sent me the games. And I'm going to, once I get a big enough, Ben, once I get a big enough box, dude, there's a lot of games I got to send you back. So he sent me these games. Oh my gosh, the cases are immaculate. All the paperwork's included. The manuals aren't frayed. It even has the Nintendo safety guide in there about, I mean, it is pristine. And my son is ecstatic because those games in that condition, especially with the case, are very hard to find. So Ben H., thank you so much. I have your games ready to go once I get a box. But um, my son is thrilled and you help him Check off three games off his wish list. I got Mario Golf for the, um, what was the system? I had the big DSL that I could see the screen. I could probably still see it today. I got rid of it because I got the 3D, which was stupid. I should have never gotten it. But I got Mario Golf and Pit Cross and all that. That's all I got. Because I stopped, I stopped getting video games. I stopped playing them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I do miss the Pokemon cards. I do miss those. Yeah, well, do you miss Pokemon games? Because just this past weekend, after we recorded the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that makes it... Now, what's the math here? 96? Is that right? It it was 96. I think it was... They were talking about the release of it. Yep, 96. Now, that was Japan. So Mm -hmm. you and I didn't get to play it till I think, 98 or 99. 
uh, when Red and Blue came out. What made us go buy those? We had never played anything like that. We had never done like a RPG or JRPG, but both you and I said, I'm going to get one color and you get the other. That way we can trade and all this. And then you, did you ever, did you find them all? Did you catch them all? 151? Yeah, I caught them all. Yep, I did too. When you used to could do it and there wasn't hundreds of them out there. Love that experience. And I've been a fan of Pokemon ever since. I think the biggest thing was I started traveling for the company and I had downtime. You know, mm. sitting around the airport and I got a Game Boy. I never had anything like that. So it was kind of cool. And so I was like, okay, well, let's just give this a try. Um, I remember going to Blockbuster Video, renting the other cartridge and doing trades with myself. But I had the other cartridge. I had the red one. So why didn't you just trade with me? Because it was the start. I wanted the three starting characters. There you go. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. So, so it was a Charizard, Bulbasaur, and... I can't remember what the other one was. One was the turtle that was in the water and the other one was the griefy lizard. I'm going to find out. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I went, rented the cartridge and there was a way to start it up and trade and do all this. And I was able to do it myself because I think, um, I forget, how, I had borrowed another Game Boy or something or, and I was able to trade and I did that on purpose just so I could have all of them. But then come to find out that, you know, the XP grew exponential or whatever. And then suddenly you didn't have enough Pokemon training levels in order to keep them in check and they wouldn't listen to you and all that fun stuff. But man, yeah, I did. That's one of the few games I completed. One of the few video games. Well, it's one of the, what's so cool about it is when you did the trades is, you know, if you with with Pokemon, if you trade, they level up quicker. Mm-hmm. So you and I were like, you know, what do you want? Could you catch me this? And I would catch it and then we would trade it so that it would level up quicker for you. And then you would say, wait a minute, make sure to not, so, you know, we say don't evolve him yet. You know, wait till get into this level, then trade mm-hmm. him so that you can evolve him, et cetera. Boy, we were geeks. Okay. I finally found the three starters, Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle. Squirtle. That's the turtle. That's it. Squirtle. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I started with uh, Charmander because I wanted to get to Char Lizard. Do you know what you started with? Bulbasaur or Squirtle? Squirtle. Okay. Yeah, I didn't start with the grass one. Did you play any of the Pokemon after that? Yes, I actually got one uh, a couple years ago to play in my- Sun Moon. Did you get, was it Sun Moon or Black White? Uh, Sun Moon, I believe. Or was it Or was, or was it, it Diamond? XY? I don't know. I've, I have the cartridge downstairs. Well, so part of the announcement they have for the 20th anniversary is they're re-releasing Diamond Pearl. Uh, mm. They're redoing that with some new graphics and stuff and selling it for 60 bucks a pop, which I think, are you serious? But it's still going to sell. I could not believe that a remake is going to be $60. But anyway, and then they've announced a new open world kind of Pokemon. It looks like Breath of the Wild for Pokemon. So that comes out next year. So it'd be interesting. So yeah, all my boys love Pokemon. So I enjoy Pokemon. I can't do it anymore because it's like I'm a completionist. 151, I can do. Three to 400, I, I, yeah, I just don't have the patience for that. The completionist who sold his Phoenix Rising. You, you didn't even complete that. That's fair. Well, I, I didn't enjoy it that much. I enjoyed Pokemon. Do you remember the laminated sheet that we had that showed all the Pokemon and uh, the colors? This one was in blue. This was in mm-hmm. uh, red. And that had all the TMs, the technical machines and hidden machines list. I found that last year. I remember having all the spreadsheets and marking them off and checking them off. Speaking of finding something, I found my Xbox 360. Yes. And I decided, well, I'm going to hook it up to a TV that can still take it. A TV that I got when I was 40 years old. 
won't talk about how much it costs back then. It was a 40 incher and it cost a lot of money, but my Xbox still will connect to it. And I plugged it in to see if it would actually crank up. And it mm-hmm. did. And I did the update. Everything was good. I actually, we talked about it on a couple of shows ago where I actually had Skyrim for mm-hmm. Xbox 360. I loaded it. And so I started playing a little bit and I was ready to break the controller. <laughs> Why is that? You know why? Because the buttons are different. I kept hitting the wrong stupid button. I was like, why? The B is not where the A is. The A is not where the B is versus my Nintendo Switch. How do people play across multiple platforms? I do not understand. I'm putting it away. I'm putting it away. I don't want to get too frustrated. I feel your pain. So we got the PlayStation 5, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. It's not an X and a B. It's, you know, it's the symbols on the buttons. But it's the same concept in that on the PlayStation and the Xbox controller, where the A is on the Xbox, is typically your confirm. It's your action button. And the B is your kind of cancel or undo, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, so on the PlayStation and on the Xbox, it's the bottom button. It's kind of the confirm. And the backup or escape is the, the right. Except on the Nintendo, it's the confirm is on the right and the backup is on the bottom. And what I never understood is when four button controllers came out with, I guess, being the Super NES being the first, they they adopted this AB concept. Why in the heck did PlayStation and Xbox deviate from that? Was it just like we're going to be different and just drive gamers crazy because I'm with you, Tony. If I'm really into a Switch game and I want to go play a PlayStation game, I get so flipping frustrated because I've got muscle memory of, except on the right button, no, no, don't cancel that, don't cancel that, <laughs> you know, sort of deal. Maybe it's from a patent. Maybe, you know, there were certain patent laws in that said you couldn't call it that or you couldn't call it, you couldn't show the same alignment. Like PlayStation, maybe using the figures instead of letters so that they wouldn't get in patent jail. And maybe Xbox said, well, we need to at least come close. And as long as we swap these two, Nintendo can't say you've copied our patent or our infringement. I don't know. You know how those things go. Dude, I'm with you. If I am playing one system, then I feel like I can't go to the other system because I will just totally screw up. And my brain is not good enough to... Even the X and Y buttons are flipped all between the Xbox and the Pro Controller or the Nintendo Controllers. Did you notice that? So the A, M, B, and the X and Y are backwards. I never got that far in Skyrim on the Xbox 360 to even attempt it. And maybe if it were a different game, it wouldn't bother me. But I've been playing Skyrim so much on the Switch that playing it on the Xbox 360 would be confusing. But if I were to play Borderlands 2 on the Xbox 360 and I don't have it on the Switch, I wouldn't. it wouldn't be an issue for me. Gotcha. Okay, so it's just because you were so used to playing on the Pro Controller. By the way, how does a 360 controller now feel to the Pro Controller to you? Small, actually. The 360 controller? Mm-hmm. It felt small. And I, I was surprised by that because I remember it being a Hawking controller back in the day. I just wanted to see if the stupid thing would work. And I kept forgetting, oh, this is the one that doesn't have the HDMI connection. So you got to find the right. Uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to comprehend, you know, this one video game I've talked about in our Discord channel. Was it Valheim? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I'm interested in trying. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest games out right now. It's an independent game. It's in mm-hmm. early access, but sold millions on Steam already. I'd like to try it. Thing is, it looks like Minecraft. And it I'm is Minecraft. Big, I'm not a big Minecraft guy. It is cruelly Minecraft, in my opinion. If there's enough people in our Discord channel and you're interested in doing it, I will try it. 100%. I'll give. I'll play anything once. And there's got to be a reason why millions of people love it. So maybe it is fun. 
because millions of people loved Minecraft and this is just something different. You're a Viking trying to establish a settlement. And now to get your friends on, you can host a server at any time. And as long as you're logged in, they can join you. If you want to host a private server, you can do that by keeping some old PC because it's not labor intensive. You could do that, have one up and running. If you got an old PC somewhere that's able to do that, but, and then have it constantly running, but you can only have up to 10 people. I'm not into it like that. I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to be on this thing constantly. And that's one of my concerns. So I I didn't understand this and maybe you know more than I do. So is the persistent character or do you, do you start a new character every time? I didn't really follow. It's an RPG. You're constantly, it's basically the way the channel I watch ESO, he's basically saying, this is Minecraft Skyrim. A character that I built up. I can mm-hmm. take into somebody else's game? I don't know. I know you okay. can join a community server, but I think every time you go onto one, you maybe you can do a new and look. I don't know. Haven't looked beyond the $20 price point yet. So maybe we just need to hush about it until we can talk a little bit more with some experience mm-hmm. instead of just making a bunch of assumptions. I can see this being, instead of going to game night, our weekly Valheim. No, it's not instead of, it's an addition to. I don't know if I can handle an addition to. <laughs> at late at night, you're staying, you play hundreds of, hours of Skyrim late at night. This is no different except in say Skyrim is this. I'm, I'm at 22 hours on Phoenix Rising. I haven't touched Skyrim in a month. Okay, you know what I mean. The fact I is know. you're playing video games late at night, so hush up to me. It's like me talking about, you know, like it sounded like I know something when I should look into it. Like, for example, the last episode when I brought up why does Bojangles have fish sandwiches now? And I had several people either on Discord or through social media, say, yeah, it's because of Lent. And the restaurants want to offer something to those who are observing Lent, thus the fish sandwich. And I went, mm-hmm. well, that totally nullifies my rant about stay in your lane and stuff. Totally makes un- makes sense. Understand now. Yes, it does. And I had forgotten about Lent because uh, it had started so early this year. Because somebody said you need to go try the Popeye's fish sandwich. And again, they have a fish sandwich now too, uh, in observation of Lent. So my previous rant is totally unfounded. There's a reason why Bojangles does that. Still not a fan of the sandwich, but it's but that's why. There's nothing wrong with your rant. They should still stay in their lane, even if they want to offer something for Lent. So what? Give up a little bit on Friday. It's Friday. Come on, people. I I know, but it's smart business sense to try to cater to those who still want to come in and have a nice biscuit. I guess, but they've got Sundays locked up. (laughs) Because Chick-fil-A's closed? Chick-fil-A's closed. You need a bucket for tailgating or a a bow box. Dude, with a family of five, we had a lot of bow boxes in this house. Family feast for $29.99, please. Yes, we'll do half Supremes, uh, half chicken. Instead of the wings, can we have extra legs, please? We like both of our sides like to be fries with an extra order of pintos. Thank you. There's our order wow. right there. Wow. <laughs> you do have practice on that, don't you? <laughs> and unsweet tea. Because I actually am drinking the rest of the unsweet tea from our last bow box that was here. Mm. Uh, speaking of uh, sandwiches, did you have you tried the new McDonald's chicken sandwich that just was released? No, I have not seen a McDonald's in a while. All right. So we rarely go to McDonald's either, but they're promoting this sandwich. And Vanessa's like, okay, on the release day, we need to try their new crispy chicken sandwich. So uh, on the way home, Vanessa stopped by, got 
got herself, me, and Brett one. They got the regular crispy. I got the spicy crispy. I'll give it this grade. If a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich is a 10, we all ranked the McDonald's a five or a six. So okay. I'm saying I'm saying you don't need to try it. There's nothing special about it. It's not crispy at all. It's better than probably the other stuff they've had in the past, but it's not Chick-fil-A. It's not Popeye's. It's not Bojangles. One of my favorite chicken sandwiches is at Wendy's for some odd reason. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm not a big fan. You're talking about their fried chicken sandwich? Mm-hmm. Personally, I would rank this one ahead of Wendy's, but if you're a fan of Wendy's, it may be flip, flip for you. Uh, and maybe it's something to do with the crispiness of the tomato and the lettuce. That is one thing to say. Okay, if you do a McDonald's chicken, they do have a McDonald's Deluxe, which has the lettuce and the tomato. The regular does not. Once again, we're a board game podcast, but now we're going down our food aisle here. So why is it that Wendy's <laughs> can offer you lettuce and tomato on their sandwich at no additional cost? And yet it's an upcharge at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. I don't know because a piece of lettuce is nothing. And I can't believe that a slice of tomatoes any more than a nickel at the most. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I'm risking my life getting your lettuce with salmonella. Yes, you are. I've started, you know, if I know I'm going to Chick-fil-A and eat it at my desk or something, I take my own cheese because I'm not paying 30 cents. I'm not going to pay 30 cents for a slice of cheese. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> you want cheese in that? <laughs> and you <laughs> yeah, here it is. Go put it on it. <laughs> you hand him a piece of American say, just put this on. <laughs> oh, and people and people oh. wonder why we do the old man mafia. Because oh, we gosh. are. I am an yeah. I have oh my gosh, I have turned into an old man. Here. Here's how I'm going to skimp to save money. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. And in fact, uh, make sure to go uh, follow us on our Twitch channel and stuff. Every so often, we're going to be doing Old Man Mafia. We just had our second episode where we have Stephen Bonacore. Not Stephen Bonacore. We had Justin Jacobson and Rob Davio on. We did another swipe left, swipe right. And I had a fun quiz where I played you guys themes to 80 songs. Mm-hmm. And you could see if you could guess you know, what TV show they came from. And Tony, you won. I think I cheated somehow. I don't know. I don't know how I beat Rob Davia. Probably, be, like I said on the Twitches, I still watch CBS. Yeah. If you want to go check out the 80s TV theme game, that was pretty funny. Uh, a lot of laughs uh, mm-hmm. went on during that segment, for sure. It's not bad. There's a few bad words were thrown during this, so don't think it's coming out as clean as this does. Mm-hmm. Just want to just give you a fair warning. And the old men are Marty and I, even though we have had additional ones. So we can have anybody on if we so demon yes yeah i mean literally it's just if you want to be on after nine o'clock and just be maybe a tad grumpy and have some fun then you qualify everybody's welcome come on bring it on you but just remember you are getting me uh, my full grumpiness be ready for it (laughs) unfiltered Unfiltered. hey all right tony how about this the rest of this episode we talk about nothing but board game related material works for me let's get to it PortalGamesUS.com, they are enticing me to upgrade my Robinson Crusoe. But Tony, I'm sorry, before you get too far into this, because I really want to hear what you're getting ready to say, be forewarned, Ignacio listens to this, and on his latest live stream, he pulled our commercial out of the show and played it as a commercial break during the show, and I sounded like an idiot. So 
stay on topic. We started talking about Vienna sausages, Tony, and he started showing clips of him making Vienna sausages and everything like that. So here we go. He's listening and this might be used somewhere. So be careful what you say. Go ahead. All right. As Ignacy pointed out in previous shows here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, you really should state the problem. The problem, my Robson Crusoe game is totally void of miniatures. That's my problem. How is Portal Games going to rectify that? They are coming out with this expanded, huge, amazing, special edition of Robinson Crusoe that contains miniatures that I will be able to paint myself or leave playing and help me conquer the island. Thunder Island is going down because I will have miniatures of Robinson Crusoe. Not only that, Ignacy is talking about some type of app here. You can have an app with this adventure island type stuff. Optional that uh, he did stress that people were worried. Do you have to use the app for the game? You do not. It's just a totally optional thing to play some background music, which I thought was cool and can run some events and scenarios for you, but you do not need the app at all. This is just like the most recent edition as far as art style and everything. There's a new cover on it. So if you have that one, you don't need to upgrade, but Tony, like you, those miniatures are nice and kind of everything now is included in one box, which is nice. But if you are like me and you have it, you can just get the upgrade pack, which is what I'm going to do. And Marty, who doesn't have it, needs to get the full Robinson Crusoe game. And you can also order the adventure book that he's been teasing also. So this will also be part of the same campaign and you can order that separately. Look for it here. It's going to be a fun me. It is going to be on GameFound. GameFound. Oh, that's yes. right. As of this recording, he already has 12,000 people ready to be notified when it launches. Tony, I think this could be one of his biggest campaigns he's ever run. Robinson Crusoe is so well loved. This is going to be a great addition to have it, especially if you don't own it already. And it may make it to your house sooner than Stronghold Undead. <laughs> That's at portalgamesus.com. Play that one back, Ignacy. <laughs> I am excited to be talking about a genre of game, Tony, that you and I haven't really talked about a lot in the past, and that is a pickup and deliver style game. Both games that we're going to be reviewing tonight have that mechanic built into it. I don't know, Tony, how in the world is this kind of one type of game that we just haven't had a lot of experience with. My favorite's Railways of the World. It's a big game. I guess Age of Steam is a pickup and deliver, right? Right. Steam right. Age. Well, that's, sorry, that's probably, gosh, that's probably the last one that we played. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little it's a little bit maybe on the, the heavier side. It takes a bit, little bit more time, which is why I'm excited about talking about a couple of games that we played recently that had the same kind of feel, but not necessarily as long. The first one is Maglev Metro. This is from Bezier Games with designer Ted Allspock. This game plays one to four players, 60 to 90 minutes, which is a, a perfect time for something like this. And I'm just going to right off the bat say, when you open this box, you're going to be blown away by the production of this thing. Number one, Tony, uh, I don't know if you realize this, I didn't have to punch out a thing. I opened up the box. It was ready to go. I didn't have to punch out any of those, the hex tiles that are basically the stations that are put on the board. And these stations, these hex tiles, have you ever seen anything as thick as that? I mean, how thick was that? Was it like a quarter of an inch thick or was it thicker? It's probably, I guess, probably a quarter of an inch thick. They were, they were hefty. 
Yes. Yeah. And then the map is a four sections of a board that you put together in a dovetail connection. And you got two maps, uh, a New York map and a Berlin map. Uh, these are thick boards because there's inlays on each of the areas of the board where you can drop one of these stations. So the board, the tiles are super nice. The tracks that you put down are transparent hex tiles with colored lines on them. They're straight lines and they're curves based on a player color. So that's the tracks that you can use and they're transparent because they can stack on top of each other. So Tony and I can be taking the same path and when you look down that, you just see two color lines going between a couple stations. The trains themselves are metal that you put the little meeples in and stuff. And the player boards are nice. They have uh, individual player boards with like little insets for putting uh, basically meeples, the, the passengers that you're going to deliver. So Tony, production-wise, this is one of the best production games I've seen in quite a long time. I was sitting there playing with the tiles, trying to get them um, all set up nice and pretty. And I was like, holy cow, this is going to be fun to play. Just to put this on there. And my little train was nice and heavy and it made a lot of sounds. I made it do a lot of choo-choo sounds and you pointed out that it's an electric train and they don't make these sounds. Yes, it's a maglev. It uh, levitates on magnets. So yes, production was outstanding. But I mean, you think about it, Suburbia, was, the production was even outstanding. Yeah. And in this game, it is, like I said, it's a pick up and deliver. So over the course of the game, you're going to be taking, starting out with a couple actions per player, and you're going to want to build stations, and there's different colored stations, and there's different colored meeples that represents the colors of those stations, and you're going to want to pick up passengers from one station, carry them over to a station that matches their color, drop them off, and you want to drop them off because when you do, you get to add those to your player board, which upgrades your player board over the course of the game. And you're doing that because there are several ways to score victory points. And after the end of the game is triggered, you're going to see who did the best of delivering passengers to create as many victory points as possible. And I think, Marty, that's the key thing that you need to point out here, or, or let's not gloss over. In my mind is normally in a pickup and deliver, you're picking stuff up, you deliver it, and it's gone. You're not going to use it anymore. Here, it's very important. If you want to be able to take various actions on your board, you have to deliver the right color passengers to be able to get the right block boxes filled. And that's what's different about this pick up and deliver game. Yeah. No, no one's ever blocked in their routes. I think that's interesting, too, is that nobody's blocked. I think in, uh, was it Age of Steam? Basically, you know, somebody takes a path, you, you don't get to take it, right? So somebody mm -hmm. can basically block you from going to certain areas. Here, that's not the case because those are transparent tiles you can lay on top of each other. If somebody's laid a track, you can lay right on top of them and you, and you can only move your train on your own color track. But you just got to get started, right? So the, the first map that people suggest that you play is the New York one. And everybody starts on the hub. And at the beginning of the game, everybody has base actions that are available to them. They are track, move, pick up drop off, refill, and adjust. And we can just kind of hit some of these as we talk about how they work. The important one is basically probably track, move, pick up, and drop off. Because at the very beginning of the game, nobody has any tracks out there. So you're probably going to want to build tracks. Beginning of the game, you're going to be given three robots. Your robots are what's used on your actions to increase your actions and make them better. When you start out, you only have one track action you can take, which is basically take one of your tiles, put it down on the board. If you want to cross water, you have to have two robots in place in order to be able to cross water. So right now you only start with one. 
So you may, at the beginning of the game, you may want to side one of your free robots to the track so that you can lay down a couple pieces of track. Because once you connect stations, then you can, one of your actions is move. And you start out with a default moving just one station. But you can add more robots as you deliver them uh, into the move area in order to be able to move to multiple stations in one turn as part of one action. When you get to a station, if there's meeples there, you can pick up meeples and put them in your little train. It has a nice little slot back there for putting in the train. You can pick up up to your capacity level. You start out being able to pick up just one. But again, guess what? You can increase the capacity. You can increase the number of pink things that you can pick up. When you get to a station and you have passengers that match the color of that station, you can drop off that number based on your drop-off value. You start out as one. Hey, talk about the stations. You got to be able to build stations. When you uh, build a station starting out, you can only build the robot stations. They're silver, gold, and copper. But what you're going to do is as you deliver gold and copper and silver, you unlock abilities on your board to be able to build one of four different color stations, a light pink, light purple, red, and purple. And those contain passengers. And I think, Tony, that's one of the things that you kind of had to keep straight. You had robots and you had passengers. And there were certain spots on the board that only those that they could go to. On your player board, passengers can only be assigned to certain spots on your player board. The same with robots. It was just something I had to keep straight in my mind. I can move my robots, but my passengers were stuck. They were delivered and they basically were locked in place. I hadn't talked about that part. Adjust. One of the actions you can do is adjust. And that's move your robots anywhere on your board to different locations but I was just saying that basically passengers have certain spots on your board mm -hmm. that are used to give you possibly extra actions, score you victory points, etc. Where robots typically are mainly for upgrading your actions. Passengers are not used for the actions themselves. Passengers simply either going to score you victory points or allow you to do stations or give you ability to do more actions. Yep. That's, re that's really all it is. And depending on what comes out of the bag, will determine if you'll be able to upgrade your actions or not. You may be stuck. Like I felt like I was stuck. I couldn't get any silver robots. So then all of a sudden I couldn't get the extra action, but you reminded me you can adjust them and shift them over there, but I couldn't adjust the passenger. So you, how you score becomes a big issue later where, oh, I want to be able to put down this station, but I can't move that purple guy over to my scoring. So you've got to really keep that in mind. But one thing I enjoyed about the game was the fact that everything was and the same quantity in the bag. You didn't have to worry about that. So we talk about a bag. So at the beginning of the game, all robots are put into a bag. One of the other actions you can do is called refill station. When based on the number of robots you have assigned to that action, you pull that number out of the bag and put them on that station. There is one rule that says if you happen to pull out a robot or passenger that matches the color of the station you're going to put it on, you put that aside and draw a different one, then put that back in the bag. The way the other colors get added, the first time a colored station is put onto the board, off to the side, you have a pool of each of the different color stations. You'll take all those and drop them in the bag. So the first time I build the pink station, all the pink passengers now go into the bag so when you do a refill you might pull out a pink passenger which is something that's going to happen almost immediately in my opinion people are going to be putting 
those stations in as quickly as they can. It did on the game that we played. So I've played two player and I've played three player in the two player game. It took us a while to build the station, but I guess because there were three people going at it, we were wanting to build stations as fast as possible. And we wanted to get the stations on the board that was convenient to our track. So Tony, you and I, uh, we played the three player. We played the Berlin side of the track, which is the more difficult track to play. The New York track is easier for beginners because there's a central hub and everything can come out of the hub and every color robot can be dropped off at the hub on the Berlin map. Gold robot has to be dropped off at a gold station. Silver robot has to be dropped off a silver station. So you got to make sure that your track can touch each of the different color stations that are available on the board. Now, did you state when you were going over these rules that when you're placing a track on top of someone, it has to match the same curve or straight. If I put a straight piece, you can't curve. I didn't say that, but yes, if somebody has put a straight, you have to put a straight on Mm -hmm. top of it. So somebody else, and I think that's important too. You guys actually messed up a path I wanted to take. I wanted to get from one station to another and you, and you blocked me. I can't cross an existing track. I can't come perpendicular and go across it. So you guys made me have to reroute kind of around to get to a station that I wanted to. So placement of track is important, but this is also cool too. I talked about when you build track, you can spend points to put down track. You can also spend points to pick up track. Mm -hmm. So if there's a one in a bad spot, you can pick it up. Because you can't have six tracks coming out of one station. You're limited to two. Two. Yeah. So you have to think about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as with all these games, victory point is king. So whoever's got the most victory points win. And then at the beginning of the game, we each are dealt a special get four victory point type cards and there's different styles of them. And you're only allowed to score one unless you put passengers in a certain area, which allows you to score more. Yep. And that's really between it's the number of what is it? It's your victory point cards and the number of tracks you have down or links to stations. Yeah. So for every link that you have, uh, you get a point for every light pink light blue passenger you have on your board you get a point for every red and purple you get two points but there's two victory point areas on your player board and like you said one victory point card you get to score for free but if you have other cards in your hand and these don't change you don't get to swap these out or pick up Mm -hmm. anymore this is what you're dealt with and this is what you have to work with if you want to unlock those other victory point cards then you have to assign any three passengers to certain spots on your board to unlock additional cards to score. So you'd have to assign three per card or nine total to score all all those. But if you do that, you're probably not going to be able to do the other victory point condition, which is increase the value per passenger. So on your board, if I assign three light pink in a column, what that will do is increase the value of all the pinks by one additional victory point. And there's one of those for each in each colors. Or I can go horizontally across and do one of every color of passenger, which increases my victory point per link. So it'd be an additional victory point per link. So Tony, I think this is one thing that kind of got me about the game. Your path is almost dictated at the very start based on the cards that you get. Bert and I have played several times. We found that we really couldn't split between the two. You're either going to try to boost up your victory points per link, victory points per passenger, or try to score a majority of your victory point cards. Yes, but at the beginning, if you're going to do it by victory point per passenger, you really got to think about how are the stations coming out on the board, Mm -hmm. how to best, because you're going to want to quickly capture them and drop them off. Okay, capture's a bad thing. Pick up. Pick them up. You want to pick them up and get them dropped off as quickly so you can quickly fill that out. That's very important. 
And you're right. If your victory points don't match up, then you may say, well, you know what? I'm going to exactly just try to score it on passengers versus uh, they're not lining up. My victory point cards just aren't that good. Forget those. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to worry about them. For me, it's kind of nice. You're not having to readjust throughout the game. You've got an end game in mind. And you can also evaluate what other people might be doing on how they're building out their player board. Yeah, because you screwed me up. So one of my victory point cards when we played was additional victory points per purple that I had. And you were soaking up all the purple, trying to fill up the vertical line of purple passengers to give you additional points per purple passenger. And there's a limited number of purple passengers in that bag. And I I hardly scored any on that card whatsoever because you were trying to soak up the same color passengers. So that's interesting. I didn't even realize that. I was just trying to get the concept of the game down, see what I like and dislike. Mm -hmm. For me, there were a few things I didn't like, which is unusual for me because I enjoy bag pull games. I do. I really, I enjoy pulling things from the bag and seeing what the things are, but I never felt like, you know, I could not get the right color robot that I needed. But I think that comes down with a lot of practice, figuring out how to manipulate those actions. What do I Mm -hmm. want to do from there? And also evaluate, do I need to take all those necessary actions? I mean, you were doing, you had five actions. Here's the thing. I spent basically to open up an additional action that cost you four either robots or passengers. Each new action takes a different combination of passengers or robots. So I spent 12 of my drop-offs to get the extra actions. That's 12 passengers, robots that might have been better assigned to the victory point conditions that would have helped me in the end win. I don't think the extra actions gain me anything. That's the beauty of the game. It's like, well, am I going to go after extra actions? Maybe I only need one extra action or two extra actions. One other action we didn't mention was reverse train. When your train goes into a station, it can't change direction. It must keep going along the path of a track that you've already built. If you get to the end of a track, it turns around for free. But if you want to take an action to reverse a train, you actually have to assign a copper robot to the reverse action portion on your board so that you can reverse it for free. So that way you just can't bounce back between two stations. If you have like a loop, you have to spend action in order to flip it. But the thing that really got me, Tony, is this is an engine building game somewhat to me because I'm getting these robots and I'm trying to decide, do I want to build more track, make more moves, increase my capacity? The adjust action of being able to adjust multiple robots allowed me to tweak my engine. So towards the end of the game, when I knew I wasn't going to be building much track anymore, using the adjust action, unassigned robots from the track action and maybe assigned it to the move or assigned it to the pickup so that I could move more or pick up more to try to get those passengers I needed. I loved that part of the game. And it's a good good use of it. I mean, you hate to lose out. You spent time to uh, get to that point and then it becomes useless. Which mm-hmm. is kind of how I felt with the track assignment with the colored passengers. Suddenly I had one down there. He was useless. And now all those stations are gone. So I, I wasted that one in order to get that station onto the board. That's fine. That's part of the game. I mean, the, I think that was the part that drug for me. And it, it wasn't just you or, or Bird or me. It was just part of the game is where you're sitting over there trying to manipulate that engine where I need to do this and this. And I think that's where some of not AP, it's just drug. But there were other times when we were playing, it was like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And we were flying. That's why I'm surprised you said that because I feel like most of the time it was, it's like, when it gets to my turn, I'm going to take my three actions. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Yes, towards the end of the game, when you're trying to go, oh crap, 
I need to be able to get this particular passenger into this thing so I can score victory points. Sure, at that point, it does slow down some. But in the middle and the beginning of the game, I think it flew pretty darn fast between players. Well, see, I was thinking at the beginning, it was a little bit slower just trying to get, figure out where that engine was or how you were, because you were limited by the number of robots that you had. So it was mm. a constant pick up one, move it along the track, deliver that one. Okay, now pick up that one until you got it going. That's where it, began, it was starting to drag a little bit because you hadn't gotten that volume. The first one you deliver, you go, wow. That's painful. I'm going to add that to pick up and make it so I can pick up two next time mm -hmm. I do this instead of just picking up one at a time. So, yes, slowly your engine starts churning. But once you get it going, you may decide, okay, I don't need to move as much anymore. I don't need as much track anymore. So I'm going to adjust, you know, based on that. So, so that part I like. So the game, to me, didn't overstay its welcome on the table. The game ends as soon as... All stations are built and the bag is empty. And at the end of the game, a lot of us are doing a refilling because we were digging through the bag looking for certain colors of passengers, right? So we were going through the bag pretty quick. And then once that's over, we'll get one additional turn. Then you easily count up the victory points that we said before. I really, really, really dug this game. I think Berlin is a hard map. If you're going to play, I definitely recommend playing the New York map. I enjoyed it. It was unique. It was fresh, especially with the assignment of the robots and the actions. The sticking point to me is, is the victory point cards. You are a predetermined, but in a way, like I said, it's not going to be a bad thing because you have a set goal in mind on what you need to do. And if by chance the various victory points all line up, then you might be able to score all four of them. So I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the concept. I enjoyed the overlay of the tiles, beautiful production. I like the, the compactness of the board. It's not this huge flowing map that you see with all these other train pickup games. Very, very enjoyable. Definitely one that you need to keep on your radar from my perspective if you enjoy pickup and delivery games. Now, I, there are what I think two production knocks. And many people have said this. I've listened and watched other people's reviews the colors of the copper and the gold robots are very similar to where if you don't have them beside each other, you'll think, wait a minute, is that the copper or the gold? And Tony, you and I were playing under fluorescent, some, some bad lights to where honestly, two that were different colors, depending how what angle you're looking at, looked exactly the same. So we were constantly picking up and put, put them beside another to determine which one it was. I don't know how to fix that unless it would have been different colors beside gold and bronze. Yeah. I'm going to go to Walmart, buy a can of Krylon spray paint with speckles in it. And I'm going to sit there and paint the gold with gold speckles. That part was tough. And the room that we were playing in, the light was not good. So we were constantly having, I know I was, was like, is that the copper or the gold sort of deal? As nice as the production value is, I will say that putting in those hex stations into the board is an extremely tight fit. I don't know whether it was the version that or the copy that we got. I wish that the whales for the stations had like a one millimeter play so they easily just drop in there. And we also found that when butting a transparent track tile up against it, making a chain, sometimes the transparent tile wouldn't fit. It wouldn't go all the way down and fit flush with adjacent to the station tile and the station tile would pop out. So again, it could be the copy that we had. I wish the wells be a little bit bigger to give like a one millimeter of play movement 
and that's that way that wouldn't have happened because I was afraid as I was pulling these things out that the bottom of the cardboard was going to pull off from the bottom as as hard as it was I was trying to pull them out of the board. You got a Dremel? Dremel would do it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, just basically file out the edges and that would do it. You're, you're done. You're golden. Maglev Metro. If you like pickup and deliver games, if you like Steam or Age of Steam, to me, I think this is this style of game of building track, delivering passengers. But a lot easier to understand, a lot quicker to play. And I love the concept of being able to adjust your engine, reassign your robots to make the actions different as you go across the course of the game. Designed by Ted Allspock, one to four players. This game is going to be out soon. All right, everybody, here we go. Gen Con's getting ready to do their big virtual spring event we know of a lot of publishers that's getting ready to start releasing games for the summer and you're going to want to get those games especially some of those hot games that may be hard to get or maybe sell out so to do that you can go over to miniaturemarket.com where when a game is getting ready to come out it will come out as a pre-order so that you can go ahead and pre-order it and make sure that you get a copy of it and as always when you go and get a game you don't have to have it shipped to you right then. You can just put it on hold until you get enough stuff together where you can get free shipping when it's over $100. And then you can let them know to release the entire package. Or if you don't want to wait, which I know Tony is tired of waiting on our order that was made back in December. I got something for you to add. Okay, perfect. Will it put us over 100 Yes, it will, because it is, but it's a pre-order, so you'll have to wait for May for us to get it. Okay, absolutely no problem. Well, I mean, I've waited this long for it. Why not wait another few months? Uh, what is it? It's the Ticket to Ride Europe Anniversary Edition. Oh, that'll be a nice one. So yes, that would definitely put us over 100. So see, that's how it works. So make sure to go out to miniaturemarket.com, sign up for the newsletter, because every day I can get an update on like maybe the stuff that's coming out. Every day they have like new items that's up for pre-order, new items that were released. So make sure to go check out miniaturemarket.com. All right, like we said, everything from the rest of the way is going to be board game related. So we're doing a, a segment of in the nuts in the nutshell in a nutshell, where we're just going to have just a bunch of uh, quick board game topics from Kickstarters to game releases that we just want to talk about. And one of the first things I want to talk about is, oh my gosh, Games Workshop is doing it again. They're coming out with this co-op game called Age of Sigmar Cursed City, which is basically a Age of Sigmar version of Blackstone Fortress, which was a 40K co-op game. It's a campaign game. You got maps, you got uh, these nice figures, and you're doing these missions and scenarios and stuff. This is the exact same thing, but Tony, I'm a fantasy guy. So playing in the Age of Sigmar universe and the fact that Cursed City is they're introducing vampires, which is a faction that has not been Age of Sigmar, has got a lot of people excited so I can't wait. I hope to be able to try uh, Cursed City out because I think this is just going to be a fun co-op campaign dungeon crawler game. Cursed City, I don't know when it's coming out. It's a it's a big box game they've been teasing, but I think the big thing is, hey, co-op game in the fantasy universe, yay, but I think a bigger thing is Vampires and Adam, who is big into this game and big into Total War, Warhammer 2, 
absolutely loves the vampire faction. So he is 100% all over this and I keep teasing the models for it. So I can't wait to see, see, see vampires come to the table. And he is over in the good old UK. So he can pick it up quick. Yes, he can. He has a games workshop store uh, within one mile of where he stays. So he can get there quick. I'm going to leave that news to you because you're the man about this uh, Age of Sigmar games workshop kind of thing. You won't play in these other games with me, so maybe at least do a co-op game with me. Okay, I'll do that. So on my side for the gaming news is I'm down at the beach having a big time. I've got my iPad. Life is going good for me. And of course, i got to play my daily game of Ascension. Got my peeps lined up there playing against me. Some of them are kicking my butt. The others, and I get in there and it says... Hey, you need to log on again. I'm like, what? Wait, what? Why do I need to log on again? I've got it's the same pattern. Nothing's changing. Oh, but you need a play deck account to play this Ascension game that you've been playing for years. You had a Stoneblade account, and then we changed it to Asmodee, and you needed an Asmodee account or something. Now you need a play deck. And by the way, if you have a play deck account for these other games, you can use the same play deck account. Da 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 da. Oh, and we're gonna have a little problems with the logons. So you enjoy yourself right now. Stop it, people. Just stop it. Stay in your lane. Don't create a fish sandwich. Let me just log in with my Apple account on my iPad. Don't worry about this. I don't know how you, you programmers can figure this thing out. Just make it happen. Don't frustrate me to where I'm going to have to create another login for another thing. It's a good thing I had Twilight Struggle on there. Because that's a play deck and I had that login or I would have been trying to create another account and another password. I'd have to come home and remember that password, put it on the sticky note hanging in front of me. I saw some other people complaining about this online. I think Patrice, Dan Patrice was complaining about this too. Well, there you go. Good company right there if I say so myself about Ascension. I, I don't understand why. And, and, and a problem. the other issue was it kept having problems connecting. I'm sure someone can explain to me why they had to do it. They sold something or they don't. I don't care. I'm the consumer. Make it easy on me. It's all about me. If they want to keep getting your money, it should be. Oh, I bought all the promos. Yeah, I'm done with it. Now the next one they release, maybe I'll buy that one. We'll see. We'll see what Ascension next expansion is going to be. Excited for that if they do come out with one. So anyway, that's my little rant about logging into another account to play a game that I've been playing for many, many, many years. Well, I hope nobody wants to buy any more L5R Legends of the Fire Rings from FFG because that game has been discontinued. And uh, this came as big news because as far as LCGs go, that was the last competitive LCG that FFG has. Uh, you know, over the years, there's been, you know, so many things, you know, Warhammer Invasion, Netrunner, uh, Game of Thrones, first edition, second edition. And uh, that's it. They've only got down to co-op LCG games with uh, basically Marvel Champions and uh, Arkham Horror. So I I'm stunned at this because competitive games were a big deal for FFG, but they've moved over their miniature line uh, over to another company that was same as doing Legions is taking care now of all the Star Wars miniature games like X-Wing. They now no longer have any competitive LCGs. The only thing that's left competitive is Keyforge. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised that game's even still around. Why? I mean, it's not big in our area. It could be big somewhere else. I don't know. It could be. I just don't see a lot of people talking about it, but I, I just don't understand. They got rid of all their RPGs. Like I said, the miniature games is gone. The uh, organized play person who, who set up all that stuff has now moved on to renegade games to help them with the Vampire the Masquerade. It's like their entire 
competitive scene is fraction of what it used to be. I, I just don't get it. Maybe they're rolling in the dough with Marvel. I know you keep playing it, keep buying the packs and arc them. I know. I'm just saying that... For all these years, they just had these competitive style games. and they mm-hmm. seem to, Maybe they're going to focus on more of the co-op and, and the, well, I say board games. Well, I mean, I guess the board games they left, Arkham Horror, uh, they're still doing some Lord of the Rings, uh, the Journeys to, uh, whatever the. Journeys to Middle Earth. Adventures in, Adventures in Middle Earth. Is that, was that it? No, they anyway, got some Middle the, Earth game. The Lord of the Rings campaign game. Uh, they're still uh, releasing stuff for it and uh, Twilight. Imperium? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just There's not much there for FFG anymore, it seems. I know I don't. And I mean, when you put this in the show notes about L5R, I mean, we didn't play it. It was complicated. Did. You did? I tried. There was uh, my friend that uh, played Ashes and other games with at work. We both tried. It was too complicated for me. Games took 60 to 90 minutes, and that's no. too long for a two-player competitive game. No, no, no. But you pointed out in the last show, or maybe it was on the old man thing, where you talked about how magic just dominates and why compete against it. You're not going to. Well, this is LCG, different type of game. That's a CCG. Does doesn't matter. It's who's getting your money. I don't care if it's LCG, CCG, TCG, any of the CGs, or CGI. I don't care. Well, then it's going to be very interesting to see how well Vampire the Masquerade uh, does when it comes out in April, because that's a competitive LCG. I know there's a big community for that. Uh, we got several people here that's going to try it, so I'm, I'm curious about that. But also is Plat Hat Games Ashes Reborn, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming out in March, April. I just talked to uh, Nikki over from Plat Hat Games, and she said they're still looking for a March, April release. They're going to have organized play with that too. So I'm curious to see how that is going to look. It does seem right now, just, just looking at it, that vampires set better for organized play. They've already got virtual events. They've already got season kits and a full-time person ready to go. It just seems out of the gate. Their organized play is going to be off and running. Be curious to see what Plat Hat does. But also what's kind of exciting too is just a day, Tony, is that Plat Hat Games put up their pre-orders for the second edition of, of Summoner Wars. Did you ever play that game? Back in the day, I went to this convention with you called Origins. I uh-huh, think that uh-huh. was it. Yeah. And, and there were two games that were being introduced there. Summoner Wars, or they were they were showing it. And what was the other one? It was the Mage? No. God, what was that other game? You Mage know? Wars. Was huh? it Mage Wars? Was it Mage, Mage Wars? Wars? Mage Wars. Okay. And we played both of them, So, but I never got into them. Mm. So, yes, I know about Summoner Wars. You know, it has big following. Great game, but just something that you and I completely, I, did, I missed. Well, I think it was also during that Netrunner time for us mm. mm-hmm. when we were all, that was kind of our competitive game at that point. Um, I like the concept. The concept of Summoner Wars, it's a miniature style game or feels like a miniature game but it's cards instead of miniatures. But now they're going back. They've retweaked some of the rules. There's all new art. The master set, the second edition is going to have tons of factions in it. They have a subscription-based model where there's going to be new factions released every few months. There's an app for the phone that you'll be able to play. Well, if they unlock it, there'll be an app for the phone and the Switch. Some of the wars on the Switch could be cool. There is a web-based app, but you can go out to Plat Hat Games right now. You can uh, play a demo of the game on their web app and see about pre-ordering. This is going to be coming out in May. So if you're a Summoner Wars fan, 
Uh, you may want to check out the second edition. If you've never played Summon Wars, at least check out the demo on the website because it may be something you understand. I think it really is cool how it plays and, and moves. Again, you're deploying cards on a battlefield and each of these cards have special abilities. They can do attacks. They can move. Again, positioning is extremely important. So again, it has a miniatures tactical feel to it, but it's all done with cards. We were into mini War Machine. Yes. At that time, War Machine and Netrunner. Mm. So again, that's probably why we didn't feel the need to play another game. Not that we, there's anything wrong with it. It was just like, well, we're invested in this other game right now. Yeah. Now, there's something. I've, I've spent enough money on Kickstarter, but here's something that's going to hit. hit. And this mm-hmm. is called Meeples and Monsters from AEG. Yeah. So they sent me a prototype of the game. And I got to um, check it out. There's two things that interest me in this. One, you mentioned a lot, you like bag building or bag pulling. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game has that. The theme of the game is, is you're trying to build up an army or your forces to go and defeat monsters. When you defeat monsters are worth victory points. Whoever has the most victory points at the end wins. But it's also a worker placement game. Because at the beginning of your turn, you're going to have your own bag. And there's just some generic workers in the bag you pull out and you use these workers to assign them to spots on the board to maybe hire or bring in new meeples to put in your bag like warriors and knights etc which are better at fighting or other classes meeples they're like little wooden meeples they're really Mm -hmm. nice looking little art and everything on them like that that can help you out in different ways on on the board too so you can assign workers to locations worker placement and you you activate that location and you add it to your pool that's going to eventually go back in your bag. You can build new locations on the board. You know, Lords of Waterdeep, where you can build new buildings that people can use and stuff. Mm-hmm. Same sort of concept here. Then, as uh, when your bag empties, you take all your used meeples or your workers, put them back in the bag and dig in your hand and draw some more to use next turn. Over the course of the game, you're going to have better fighters and stuff come out that you will assign to monsters and you can upgrade the strengths of your fighters and stuff to be able to fight bigger and better monsters over the course of the game. Love, basically, you're kind of leveling them up. And like I said, the goal is to fight the big bads that come out at the end. They're worth a lot of points. And, uh, and then the person, like I said, the person with most points at the ends wins. Oh, I forgot. We love culling. There is a concept. There's like stuff in the bag you may not need anymore. There's beginning workers. Ah, they're just taking up space. So there may be a way to get rid of those out of the bag. So it has that concept. So two things I'm very interested in worker placement. There are unique workers where some spots need unique workers and the bag building. The bag building's got me because this reminds me of dice masters. Oh, Oh my gosh. I have not heard that comparison. Yes. Because you start out with basic dice at Mm -hmm. the beginning and then you use those dice to buy better dice. That's what's going on here. Use the workers to collect better things to go into your bag. Look at you. Thank you. That's that's what sold me on this. I was like, okay, it's it's going to be less than $50, I think, when I saw the original Kickstarter page. I love blind draws. And that's what I'm going to enjoy about this. That's what I like, love about Dice Masters. I like that anticipation of pulling. You know, of what's going to happen there. This is one of those, I love games that mishmash a couple things together. So this is a worker placement game with unique workers needed in certain situations, leveling up those workers, making them better. And like you said, the bag building concept. Mm-hmm. So when this episode drops, it's already started on Kickstarter. It's going to end on March 19th. So when this episode drops, you don't have much time left. We'll have a link in the show notes 
And the delivery date's not going to be until March 22. This is a game I'm for sure going to want to get. And again, even with the prototype, the production and the art looks just really good, Tony. Final thing for In a Nutshell. Save your money. One of my favorite companies, Forbidden Games. Raccoon Tycoon. Mm -hmm. They're going to come out with one of Marty's favorite games, mechanic styles. What is that called, Marty? What, what, your, your genre? Is that, that yeah. it? Yeah, a style of game that I never play. Civilization games, which I would love to dig more into, but I never get a chance to. Why not, Marty? Time. Stuff like Through the Ages, Nations takes a very long time. So, Tony, I'm looking for a Civ-style game that I can play in two hours or less. Can you help a man out? I cannot. I personally cannot, but Glenn can. Because he's going to bring you Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. Two hours. Uh-huh. I know it's going to be beautiful. They always are. You know, Forbidden Games are beautiful. We've gotten the rules. They're going to release this Kickstarter, you know, on May 11th. I haven't made it through all the rules yet to be able to talk intelligently. Not that even if I get through all the rules, I'll be able to talk intelligently about it. I'm very excited for this because I've always enjoyed every game that Forbidden Games has come out with because it's in that niche for me of time and understanding and complexity. But if people are wondering, is Glenn Drover any good at Civ games? Listen to the other board games he's worked mm -hmm. on. Age of Empires 3. Railways of the World, Sid Meier Civ Games, and then, of course, Raccoon Tycoon. We had Glenn on the show. He talked about his days at Microprose when he worked with Sid Meier's to work on Civ Games, Tony. So I think if there's a designer out there that can give us a good Civ board game, I think it's Glenn. If you like action, selection, card drafting, I do. That's mm -hmm. a given. Mm -hmm. You like engine building. I think we've talked about that a little bit on this show. Yes. And getting victory points, you're going to possibly enjoy this game. Mm -hmm. So very excited for this. Can't wait for it. I mean, you know, he's got an all-star team set up of artists. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I believe Annie uh, Stegg is the one that did the Raccoon Tycoon, but don't. that's not $5, people. Don't hold me to it. We've got a press release here. It's talking about 150 pieces of original art, <laughs> as well as hundreds of of miniatures, including cities, farms, town, manufacturer towns, ports, citizens, infantry, cavalry, siege engines, and nine wonders. Yeah, there's going to be a lot in that box. See, once again, there goes more money. Mm -hmm. More money out the door. So we got, oh, got, was it Block and Key? Block and Key that's going on right now. We've also got Meeples and Monsters going on right now. And then May 11th, you've got Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that one because you're right. Two-hour Civ game, that will get it on the table quicker than anything else. So Marty mentioned a, another pickup and delivery game called Rapa Nui. No, I didn't mention it. I said we're going to talk about another pickup and delivery game. So he should have mentioned it to save us time here, but he didn't. <laughs> this is from publisher Matt Gott. Matigo? Matigo? Or is it, I is thought, it, I like it. Gott I'm pronounce it Matigo. Matigot? I like Matigot. M-A-T-A-G-O-T. How about that? That works. Designer Fabrice Benson and Guillaume Montiage. Mont yeah, I'm sorry. I try. I really do. I put it in Google to say it for me. And it's just, I really do try. But the artist is by Miguel Coimbra. Great game. Great game. That's an amazing game. This was one of those games when I first got it. I was like, okay, this will be interesting to see what Marty thinks about this. This game is based on the concept of Easter Island. We don't know why 
people back from the 13th to 70, 17th century built over 900 monumental statues or moa on the Polynesian island of Rapa Nui, also called Easter Island. But you are a chieftain who is responsible for getting your tribes to continue this effort to build up these statues. And in doing so, you're going to be able to please the gods. And the gods are going to shower you with victory points. And whichever god showers the most people with victory points, you're the winner. Now, what's important to remember about this game is you start with four tribes of people and you have a sorcerer. And on your turn, you are going to place your tribes people as either constructing a moa or they will provide a means to carry the moa through the village or through the island to its final resting location where it will be erected. Also, once these statues are erected, you can then later or possibly on your turn, use additional transporters to decorate them, to put a hat on them. Because <laughs> this is exactly what it looks like. And <laughs> we said that the entire night. I'm going to put a cap on that one. It looks like a hat. So it was it was decorate. Is that what it was? But we decorate we just, them. We just changed it. It's like, yeah, it's a hat. Well, they're on this Polynesian island. The sun is beating down on them. True. It'll fade the stone if you don't put a cap on it. Now, what's important is that throughout the island where you're going to erect the statues, there are little tiles. And these tiles will give you special abilities that you can use right then or later. You're sitting there thinking, well, how are you getting all these victory points? And the way you get victory points is when you are transporting these items, you are going to collect resources when you erect the statue. Or if someone wants to use your transporters, then they will gain the resource. If it's a statue, they will gain resources. So if Marty puts a transporter, I can use his person. So you're creating a path from one mm -hmm. side of the island to an edge of the island. There's a couple of spots in the middle of the board. This It's a sectioned out map. And if I put one of my uh, villagers in that section, that's a transporter, not only for me, for anybody. Tony can generate a line from one spot to another going through the section where I have one of my villagers and creating a direct line to the coast where that's the, the coast of the island is the only place that uh, the moa can go. But he can use mine. I'm going to help him. Hey, I'll help my fellow tribes person out and I'll help carry this across this section of land. Um, but if I do, I'm going to get a resource out of this for doing that. So, you know, I'll, you can, I'll do it for you, but it's going to cost you a little bit. So it's this interesting idea of putting out either your workers in order for you to be able to build statues or put a cap on it or put them in strategic locations on the board so that other people will connect through those areas so that you can get free resources. And I guess, Tony, you're going to talk to, you actually get the victory points of when you place the cap on them, right? Absolutely. So in phase one, you're placing a sculptor slash transporter. And we didn't mention a sculptor, based on where you place them, you can build a small statue, a large statue, or a huge statue. And that determines which resources you get. Well, it determines the number of resources you get. The number of resources, I'm sorry, determine the number of resources you get when the sculpture is built. Now, if you're going to build the hat, you need to turn in four resources to claim victory points. And so when you build the hat, you say, well, I'm turning in the grass or reeds 
and I will get the top victory point tile for that. Mm -hmm. Or I will turn in four oysters, which are highly valuable. They're way on the other side of the coast and hard to get to. I will get a lot more victory points. And that's really what you're doing. You're creating sculptors to move statues, to claim resources that will then, no matter who built the sculptor, you can later decorate with a hat and then take those resources and claim victory points. Mm -hmm. And when the special tiles that are where the statues are, are equal to the number of players, the game ends. It's not one more round, one more equal number of turns. The game ends. And then you've also got to figure that also that you can place uh, during that phase one to determine turn order. The sorcerer. The sorcerer yeah. can, has to go to be placed to um, determine that. So that's once everybody's placed, that's the end of phase one. But the sorcerer says, okay, who gets to go first? So we played this game right after Maglev Metro. And Maglev Metro is a little more heady, a little more thinky. And in the first couple of rounds, I was not digging this at all. It's like, this is, this is just too simple. Until I got halfway through the game. And then I started seeing the brilliance of this, Tony. Oh, we didn't mention this, but when you look at the map, the sculptures come in from the east side of the map to be carried. The caps or where you do the decorations come from the west side of the map. So they originate from there. So if I want to put a cap on one of the statues, I start from a section that's on the west side and try to create a path back to a statue, or I try to create a path from where the statues are sculpted out from there out to the coast. And you guys made this brilliant comment. It's like, do you guys notice that it's really hard to get a large statue to the west side of the island? Because you have to commit at least three of your workers to be sculptors to even get the large statue, which leaves you few workers to create a path to get to a certain location. So the chances of getting way all across, the, across the board are pretty slim. And then going the opposite way, it's tough for when you want to do the decorating to get a cap to carry it back all the way across to the east side of the island to cap off one of those guys. When I saw the brilliance of that, I went, Okay, this is really cool. Agree. And it's like, okay, is he going to place a transporter there? Because if he does, then I know I'm going to be able to possibly transport the hat or the statue either side. And that will save me from having to place a tribes person in the statue part or on the island to help me transport. But if someone doesn't put it there, then you got to commit to that. You're looking at each other thinking, are you going to put it there? Yeah, that's where the turn order comes into play. People think like, oh, I definitely want to be first so I can claim a place that I want to build a statue because each section of the map gives a certain type of resource. So there are some resources like, man, I really need some more oysters or whatever. So I want to make sure I get a statue at this location and get maybe a large statue out there to get five resources. A medium statue gives you three of that type of resource and a small gives you one. But Tony, we, as later the game went, it's like, you kind of want to be last because I want to wait to see, ooh, will Tony or Bert put one of their villagers over here so I can use it to transport my statue so that I don't have to commit somebody to it. And then if I don't have to, I can commit him to be a sculptor and get a larger statue to carry. Once you use a sculpt or a transporter and erect the statue, they become spent. They can't then be mm -hmm. used to put a hat on them. 
That was that was just simple brilliance right there for me. Okay, so I could put two people there as long as I got a path. So once again, we go back. Can I get that path to allow me to put two of my color in that same spot and let me build a statue and then put a hat on? In the same turn. Yep. In the same turn. Phase one, place all the workers down. Phase two, transport the statues, erect the statues. Phase three, put the hats on them convert those over into um, victory points, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. And one thing we haven't talked about, there's also, you can do an improvement to your tribe. You, there's four improvements available, but you can only use three in a game. Yep. So you have to spend resources that will either allow you to take resources of a next higher value, or if you want to be artistic, you can take an offering tile of the next higher value up. If you want your chief to stop sitting in his uh, lodge he, and he becomes a worker, you can put the chief to work and he can become a sculptor. Or if it's popular, you get an additional villager. You get to increase your, your workforce. And that's something we all grabbed. We all recognize the fact that you need that additional worker to help you with transporting or sculpting. Mm -hmm. Overall, the tiles, we, we said, oh, that tile's overpowered. That that tile's OP. As the more I thought about I felt like the game was very balanced and claiming the victory tiles and things like that. I never saw a huge benefit for certain tiles over others. To me, it was just enjoyable. Yeah. I'm starting to really love these little player boards that come out with these little insets. So when you collect resources, you don't get like physical tokens. Your uh, player board uh, lets you track. You got a cube that can you can track how many of each resource you have. So that's how you do that. It's a lot easier to track. But the... Uh, Tracker has a little inset to hold your cube, uh, which is nice. Tony, I think the only little bit of a knock on the game was there are a lot of different tiles that you can claim that have different abilities and everything. To me, the iconography wasn't that straightforward. All of us were constantly having to reference the tile guide on the back of the rule book to learn what it does. Now, once I read what it did and then look at the picture, I go, oh, okay. But I couldn't pick up a tile and figure out what it did without reading it. Of course, the more you play, you know it and stuff like that. So I was constantly kind of picking up and looking at, now what does this tile do again? Some of them are active all the time. Sometimes you, you spend it once and it's gone. And then there's also this special tile that if you don't use it, you get three victory points, but it lets you use any of the favor tiles that's either in play or out of play. You get to use it one time. Mm. So if you want to use the favor tile that increases the resource production when you erect a statue, you could say, I'm going to turn this in and get three additional resources. But I agree with you, Marty. The iconography didn't come back. If this stayed on your shelf for three months, you'd be pulling that sheet out again and having to reread those. I will say uh, one thing that really stuck out to me I thought was cool for uh, a pickup and deliver game. I do think if you've never played a pickup and deliver game, I think this is a good one to kind of start with because it kind of teaches you the concept. I don't think this is necessarily a game for people that haven't played a lot of board games, because I think there's a lot of stuff to grasp, especially the different tiles and everything like that. But if you never play pickup and deliver and want to try it, I think this is a good entry because it plays in 45 minutes to 60 minutes. It is quick. But what I think is cool is, so with Maglev Metro and things like Age of Steam and stuff like that, you create a track. That track is pretty much there to use the rest of the game. What I like about this, Tony, is every round, the paths and stuff are deconstructed and reconstructed every round. So I, th I thought that was kind of neat. It's not like you create a path and it's there the rest of the game. At the end of the round, everybody picks their villagers back up off the board and then you go again. 
So every round, new paths are going to create it from one section to another. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, definitely. I mean, from that standpoint, you're like, they have to go home and rest. They got, they got to get some sleep because they've been mm-hmm. working hard out there. They've been moving, getting resources, getting the eggs, making sure things are going to happen. Well, I was just saying that in some games where you create paths or tracks, sometimes you can screw yourself. It's like, crap, I wish I had not put that track mm-hmm. there because I don't need it anymore. That can't happen in this game. Before I close this out, one very important rule. All statues have to face inward to the island. Do mm. not, do not let that rule go off to the side and say, ah, oh, we don't have to care about that. Because after you get all those statues erected, it kind of looks cool. For gameplay purposes, it does nothing. It's just the rule says that because that's the way it is in real life. Absolutely. So that is Rapa Nui from Matago or Matgot. It depends on which one you want to choose. Uh, okay, let's use the real one, Matago. I enjoyed it. Marty? Oh, yeah. I'm really glad that we played two pickup and deliver games. I want to play more pickup and deliver games. I know that we've played um, uh, Merchants of Venus uh, before. It's been a long time since, since I've played it. For a quick pickup and deliver style game, Rapa Nui. If you want a little something with a little more meat, Maglev Metro. I enjoy both of them. I think they're worth both staying on the shelf because they're different enough for me. Tony, one thing I forgot to mention in Maglev Metro is that if this game does well, there are plans for additional maps. And I think that's cool. You know, like in Downforce, where they can just keep reintroducing maps, but keep the same mechanics. They can do the same thing with Maglev Metro. So there's plans that, hey, if this game does well, we can just create some new maps using the same base rules, and then you're ready to go. So I think that's really kind of cool too. So Maglev Metro will have some expandability to it. It's a train game. Every train game can have more maps. Fair, very fair. I'm going to wrap us up quick here, Marty, because it is my anniversary. So with that, keep rolling dice and taking names. listening everybody and don't forget our big squirrely awards is next episode so make sure to keep up with us on twitter at dyson names instagram dyson names and check out our website rolldicetechnames.com to join our discord server hey i love by uh drum i love draw